Hey friends, welcome back here to the Semi-Seminary, and here we are another week, another episode of our Bible study series we like to call the Bible for Grown-Ups. Tonight, we're going to look at the story from the Acts of the Apostles in the 16th chapter, and this is right after a very famous church event called the Macedonian Call, in which Paul... Hey friends, welcome back here to the Semi-Seminary. Here we are another week, another episode of our Bible study series. We like to call the Bible for grown-ups. Tonight, we're going to look at a story from the Acts of the Apostles. And in this story, in chapter 16 of that story, we're going to find Paul and his associates have now made their way out of Asia Minor over the northern rim of the Mediterranean Sea and into Europe. And we're going to look at the very first conversion of someone, a Gentile in this case, to Christianity by Paul. And we're going to find, interestingly enough, that it's a woman. Her name's Lydia, and tonight's story is called The Lydia Moment. I'll see you on the other side. So tonight, uh, what I'd like to do, our story is going to be called The Lydia Moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually talk about how the church expanded out of the events that took place following Jesus' resurrection. Okay? And... That story of the expansion of the church we find in the Acts of the Apostles that's traditionally attributed to uh, the writer of the Gospel account according to Luke. And what Luke, for ease of discussion here tonight, what Luke attempts to do in Acts is to describe the places that Paul and the missionaries went and the effects that their testimony had in spreading Christianity out of what we would call Israel, right? Down here where my hand is. Going up around the Mediterranean. See here, here we get into Turkey. And then when we get into Turkey, we're now getting into what's now Europe, right? <coughs> Pardon me. And tonight's story, when looking at this character, Lydia, we're actually going to discuss uh, the first, what is attributed to be the first convert to Christianity on the continent of Europe. And again, what I find very interesting is, just like the gospel accounts seem to indicate that the first witness to the resurrected Jesus was a woman, tonight we're going to find the first convert to Christianity in Europe is a woman named Lydia. So we're going to look at Lydia's story here, but I wanted to give us, before we jump in, kind of just to the story of Lydia. It's not very big. It's only Acts 16, 11 through 15. It's all that this particular portion of the story um, deals with. But what the story uh, lacks, perhaps in length, it makes up in significant impact in the words that are being spoken and what those words mean. And one of the things that we need to understand that when we, especially when we're reading um, 
the stories in Acts and Paul's letters to the churches, okay, is that there is an incredible economy of words. Remembering that the transmission, or I'm sorry, the creation and the transmission of ancient documents was very difficult, relatively rare, and expensive. And so, when words got wrote down on paper, it is the exact opposite, right, of what we have with social media today where we tweet or insta just anything we want, pictures of our food, complaints about the bus being late, whatever, right? We, they were bombarded today with people's menial thoughts. This is the exact opposite of what happens when these ancient documents are produced. In fact, every word matters. And so we need to pay attention to what words are spoken, but we also need to perhaps, if we can see with the right set of eyes what words are not spoken here. And this story, very small story, tells us a whole bunch about what life was like religiously and what it was like to spread Christianity into these places that it, this is brand new stuff. This is just the, this is in the decades following Jesus' resurrection, right? This is not years later, hundreds of years later when the churches are, none of that's happened yet. These guys are showing up to places and speaking to people whom had never, this is their first time encountering the story of this character, Jesus of Nazareth, okay? That's very important for us to understand. And so if we look with the right set of eyes, the story can tell us a lot about the conditions of the early church. And one of the things that if there's almost, if there's nothing else you take from tonight's story, understand that the story of Lydia will show us that women in the ancient world had a tremendous impact on the church not only in its growth, but in its preservation. The women being the backbone of the church is not a modern invention. In fact, women were essential to the growth of the original church. Lydia shows us that, and we need to make sure we expand our reading and understand uh, the importance here. So we're going to kick off the story with the story of them going into uh, Macedonia or Greece, okay? Um, and right off the bat, we're going to hear the writer say we. So I just want to point out who the we are. is Paul. We know Paul, the apostle Paul. And Paul has a couple of his disciples, Silas and Timothy. Timothy has his own letters in the Bible, right? First and second, two letters, these guys are, this is literally Paul's left and right hand men, okay? And uh, they're going into what would be modern day Greece, and here's our story. From Troyes, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, okay? This is where we're going, Philippi, whom in 10 years is going to get a letter written by Paul called the the letter to the Philippians, back 10 years later. Okay, this is where we're at. Philippi was a Roman colony, and it was the leading city in the district of Macedonia, and we, the gentlemen say, we stayed there three days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, 
where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Notice, economy of words, he doesn't say that we met with a whole bunch of people and men were involved and women, we just didn't bother to say the word men. They're not there, okay? That's important. Also, this idea of dealers of purple cloth, you may or may not know this about a history from a historical perspective, but the reason why purple uh, is considered the royal color is because in the ancient world, it was so incredibly hard to reproduce. There's a snail or a fish that's used. It's very rare. And though, therefore, if you were a dealer in purple cloth, more than likely, you were wealthy. Okay? So Lydia, Thyatira, she's a dealer in purple cloth. She's a worshiper of God, Scripture says. The Lord had opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she says she's a worshiper of God, in this context, what it's saying is she subscribes to the Jewish faith. Okay, A worshiper of God here is not a follower of Christ because there aren't followers of Christ here yet. This is the first one. So as she's listening to Paul talk about Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord opened up her heart to Paul's to respond to the message. And when she and the members of her household, okay, maybe not just her family members, but her servants as well. Whenever we say the household, we're not just talking about members of my immediate family. We're talking about everybody that lives or works result of the family, which means more than likely indicating, again, her wealth. They all get baptized and she invited them to their home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. In the, this portion of our reading of scripture. Okay. Fascinating story. First convent, con, convert on the, the, uh, on the continent of Europe. It's this woman, Lydia. Okay. So that's the context of now let's step back, go back to our lives, and let's maybe look at what this story might have to teach us about our own life. We'll kind of pop back and forth between living in her sandals and living in our world. Have you had an experience where you knew God had called you to do something, but it didn't come out the way you thought you would? We've been talking, I think, quite a bit about this on Sundays. When you answer some sort of call, to God and you just feel it, you know, you feel energized, excited about the possibility of being used by God. Maybe you couldn't even wait to get it to wherever it was that you're going and begin doing whatever you needed to do. But in the end, it was so much like you, it was so unlike what you expected, right? And when I've had that happen to me, I find myself often asking God, like, is this, is this what I'm, is it what I'm supposed to be doing? Sometimes our heart is to serve God, but our circumstances will call us to back away. Maybe even out of our own choice, limit our service, limit our availability to be used by God. Similar situation happening here with Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And so I just want to encourage you tonight as we kind of think about this idea of being used by God 
I want you to know that when you do serve God and you do go where God sends you and you do God do what God tells you to do, remember you may never know what the results of that obedience may be. Okay? Now prior to the verses here in 16 that we've read for tonight, Paul had received uh, what is known traditionally as the Macedonian call. And in the Macedonian call... Paul receives a vision from a guy um, in Macedonia, in this area where they found themselves. He sees a vision of a guy there, and uh, the guy is calling out to Paul to come and help them. Right? So he, along with Timothy and Silas and Luke, they undertook the journey to get to this place that we are just talking about tonight's passage. What must Paul have thought? when he received such a powerful call to go and do the mission work of God only to arrive in a major city like Philippi and discover that there's actually no synagogue in the city. That's why the believers of God, the, those of the Jewish faith, were meeting by the river outside of the city. There wasn't even a synagogue there. Remember, Paul, whenever he's making these journeys, Paul's going to these places and he's speaking to the Jewish people first, then to the Gentile people. He's delivering his message of Christ being the Messiah. He's bringing that message first and foremost to the Jewish people in this area, then to the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people. Okay, so imagine he's had, he's had this vision from God. He's gone on this journey to help these other believers out. And when he gets there, there's not even a synagogue. Now, Jewish law meant that. And so what is the law? Why do you keep saying that? What's that so big? What's the big deal? Philippi is a major city. Our scripture says it was the most important or where they're at. This is the most important area of Philippi. It's a major area. And Jewish law said that there had to be at least 10 men that were believers in God to be able to form a synagogue. So if there's no synagogue and they're having to meet outside by the, the city walls by the river, that means that Paul has shown up and there aren't even 10 God-fearing Jews in the whole city. In Paul's vision, he sees this Macedonian man. He shows up. You've got to be thinking, he must be wondering, where's he at? And to further complicate the situation, actually inscribed on the walls of the uh, arches, rather, outside the city of Philippi was actually a prohibition against bringing unrecognized religions into that city. Right? And this also might explain. They, they don't have a synagogue inside. Why are they worshiping outside? It seems to indicate because their faith isn't even a recognized faith in this city. That's why more than likely they're holding their prayer meeting out on the riverbank. Now, Paul, remember, Paul had been trained to be a leader of the people of the Jewish faith. And 
Remember I told you who, who's there on the riverbank. Paul would have also been well acquainted with what the faith says in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, about the views of women. In fact, uh, the rabbis were known to say, <clears throat> this is not my words, the rabbis of the time were known to say it is better that the words of the law be burned than delivered to a woman. What? The fact that Paul was willing to speak to this woman clearly indicates he no longer held that, that legal view or social view, whatever. But the lack of a synagogue, no uh, influence in the city, a prohibition against religion, a prayer meeting out on a riverbank doesn't seem to be a formula for a powerful revival. And, and maybe not you, but this is, this is one of my problems. I am so quick to allow the circumstances of my life to determine my service to God. Right? I mean, this is just me. I'm just being honest. If things start to get hard, I look for a way out. I look for a way to diminish, perhaps, I mean, if I'm being honest, my dedication to the task that I believe God's called me to. And if people don't respond immediately, right, I'm on the lookout for a new plan or a new gimmick to try to get this done. If Paul would have done this, he would have bailed. I think, as I've explained, how poor these circumstances were for the growth of the Jewish or Christian religion within Philippi. If Paul would have had my faith, he would have bailed on Philippi. Paul understood that um, our service to God is always about our faithfulness to God, not the results. The reason why I think I want to bail on bad situations is because I don't see the profitability in it. Right? I don't see how it's going to turn out good. But that's faulty theology. Because that approach says that what God does is always profitable, right, in the earthly sense. Like, like he's a business that only cares about the bottom line. You know what also, you know what, why, also why it's faulty theology? Because the theology seems to limit the powers of God, which means that God will only use those limited powers in prime locations, and we know that's not true. We talk about building and growing churches as if it's something we can do. Something only God can do. God wants a relationship with you, and part of that relationship is your commitment, your dedication, and your faithfulness. And perhaps in some area of your life, you might, uh, you might look around at the conditions of your life, the circumstances of your life, and you might find yourself kind of like maybe Paul might have felt out on that riverbank. Am, am I in the right place, God? Am I doing what you want me to do? And the circumstances may not be bad. And sometimes, some instances, the circumstances of our lives might be overwhelming. I just want to encourage you not to be too quick to throw in the towel. Because I think, as we're about to find out, just one convert can make all the difference. The Macedonian call of Paul's journey was not about large numbers, as we're going to find out. In fact, 
like I've just said, there was only one convert at first, a woman named Lydia. But the Lord uses her greatly to aid Paul and his mission. Now, we actually know very little about her. We do know that she's from Thyatira, uh, a city that was known for burnished bronze and brass. So they did a lot of metal work. And it was a place where you could acquire this special purple cloth. So Lydia was a businesswoman who made and sold this very expensive fabric. But uh, uh, our story says she was also a worshiper of God. Now, she was a Gentile. And so her exposure to a traditional synagogue situation would have been severely limited. Remember, she's not Jewish by birth. She's a convert to Judaism. And remember, in her town, they don't even have a synagogue. So to her, the whole idea of what worship might be down here in Jerusalem is completely different than her worship experience. But... On that riverbank, she found a place to belong. And as Paul speaks, the Bible says, her heart was opened and she listened. And the Greek word there for listening actually seems to indicate a continuing process. In other words, Lydia had been listening to those at the riverbank and growing in her devotion to God but one day when Paul shows up, something, she gets led a little bit further down the road of intellectually and spiritually understanding God because of Paul's story of how God had sent Jesus. Some people come to know Christ all at once. Others, others need time to listen, to ponder, maybe come back to the riverbank for more. But it's God putting all those pieces together. Paul is in the right place at the right time at this place called Philippi on this riverbank with a group of women. And Lydia is in the right place at the right time listening to Paul. But in that moment, she hears the word, the truth about Jesus. And she believes what she's heard. That's what it meant in our story when it says she opened her heart to pay attention She's taken the next step in her spiritual journey. And that step was trusting Jesus Christ as her Savior. How exciting, right? It must be. Lydia is the first European convert to Christianity. But that's not where it stops in our story. Because Lydia not only opened her heart, she opened her home. Now, a given... the. Situational context here, given her business and the high price that this purple cloth would fetch, her home was probably one of the uh, nicer in the city. But she willingly shared all that she had, demonstrating the spiritual gift of hospitality. And for Paul and Silas and Luke to refuse her offer of hospitality would not would have been to mean that they didn't actually believe in her uh, commitment to Christ as her Savior. Now, <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not a man who has a natural trait of hospitality, right? Because to bring someone to your home is to upset your order 
and your ways. And for every person you're hospitable to in your home, that disorder increases. Lydia has the ability to be hospitable because of the size of her home. She has the desire because she's urged them to come and stay with them so strongly. But she also has the gifting. Now, what's cool is there's not a whole bunch more to be told about this story, but the story doesn't end there. In Acts 16, now further down the page at verse 40, Scripture actually, same chapter, Scripture says, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with, let's pay attention to the words that are being written down here, where they met with brothers and sisters and encouraged them. These missionaries end up back at Lydia's house again. I, I really think that the, that the ministry they received in verse 15 by staying at Lydia's house was a surprise blessing for them. But I also believe that the ministry that they received in verse 40 of Acts 16 was an essential necessity. After Paul and the crowd leave Lydia, they cast out a demon and they're arrested uh, for doing this. God sends an earthquake that releases them from prison and they're used by the Lord. You guys might know this story. They're used by the Lord to convert the jailer. But not only the jailer, but his family. And then they reappear before the government to exercise their rights. Remember, these are Roman citizens to be heard in a, in a tribunal. So it's a, been a busy couple of days for them. As they left Philippi, I mean, again, we're putting ourselves in their sandals. You can't help but wonder if they didn't talk about how, how, things, how rough things had been the last few days. Also, perhaps how they hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, Maybe even spiritually. And play along with me here. Maybe Silas said something like, you know what we need is a place to rest and recharge. Maybe Luke chimed in. I know the perfect place. Remember how nice it was at Lydia's? How hospitable she was? Let's go there. The word hospitality, obviously, is akin to the word hospital. They rarely put those two words together in our culture today because the images that we now, those two words uh, generate are different. But a hospital is a place away from your home that is designed to bring healing and wellness, right? Hospitality is not about a vacation, but about allowing your home and your presence to be an emotional, mental, and spiritual healing to others. That's the fruit of hospitality, right? We've heard that, home, that old adage that a, a home is a person's castle. And unfortunately, this is how so many of us have begun to live. And honestly, fortresses of gated communities, unlisted numbers, Hoarding our privacy, secluding ourselves away. Right? You, as with a teenage boy at home, though, uh, superheroes rule at our house. But those rugged individuals live in clay caves in places that are secluded in the world, right? So we <coughs> so often find ourselves like Superman. 
in our own fortress of solitude. But remember, God didn't make us that way. God created us to live in community. Right? If, if you don't think so, look at what... Um, Look at who Paul and Silas encourage. Remember I taught you to pay attention to the, what the words are being said? The brothers as well as the sisters. Now just 25 verses ago, there, there were no men involved. Where did the brothers come from? They'd come from Lydia and her even, um, evangelistic efforts. How? Because her home had become not just a statement of wealth and success, but a mission outpost for traveling missionaries. It's become a church. The missionaries encouraged the brothers of the church, but now they, and, but how uh, encouraged are they because of this partnership that's now been created? Why? Because this woman, this first convert in Europe, is using her gifts, her possessions, to start the church at Philippi. Paul's using his gifts, his ability to exhort and to encourage to people to build the church. That's what the story of Acts is all about. right? Not only physically like in places, geographically, but spiritually as well. Again, remember this church that we're talking about tonight. Ten years later, Paul's going to write a letter back to them. It's called the, Philipp the letter to the Philippians, right? Or turn letter. It's something started with this one woman. Now is an established church. And I think just the community that's involved here, their ability to work together, each with their own gifts and abilities, even as the first church in Europe, it's a great picture of a church. So how are you at, as I close, how are you at doing church? Is your home a secluded fortress? Or is it a haven for hurting souls? Are you using your gifts and abilities to do all that you can, wherever it is that you are? Are you listening in such a way that you're taking the next steps down your own spiritual journey? Are you letting circumstances determine your devotion or are you nurturing a heavenly perspective? Are you willing to open your heart with all that you have and be a servant for God? Lydia did. Will you? Any questions? Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. If I'm completely honest, I just have to tell you that I think one of the things that this story really highlights to me, I mean, at least as someone who takes their spirituality and, and, the, and, and the knowledge of where that comes from to, to serious heart, we have to really, I think this story highlights this incredible way in which God uses, again, not the strong, not the most powerful, not the most influential, 
but rather the least. And unfortunately, in the ancient world, women were unfortunately not afforded the same rights and understandings of personhood as a man. And that's exactly who God uses. Just under the radar, just outside of the power structure, just underneath to provide for a movement that grew into what we now call Christianity. To deny women's role over the course of Christianity is to really do a disservice, not only to women, but to God's divine plan to use women in this way. Now, that is something to think about. I'll see you next week.